inflation. And it's my top domestic priority. To ultra high cost of living. I know you gotta be frustrated. I can taste it. It pays to be ultra well informed. We're throwing money away like drunken sailors. I'm so pissed off. When you join the conversation. We're just printing more money, which adds to inflation, which destroys the American family. That makes me sick. What happens next happens here with Tom and Benny on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Hans von Spakowski is the senior legal fellow of the Heritage Foundation's Edwin Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. And he's the manager of the Election Law Reform Initiative. He's with us now. Hans, welcome back to News and Views. Good to have you with us. Well, thanks for having me back. Earlier this week, uh, you co-authored an article that appeared in the Daily Signal talking about ongoing election fraud issues. Uh, In that article, uh, you stated that Heritage Election Fraud Database contains some 1,300 proven instances of election fraud, and that is a number that is rising. And uh, you say it's just a sampling, and you give some examples of it, but... uh, you know, everyone was saying after the 2020 election, okay, we need to get this straightened out. And we were told by a number of officials, oh, we're getting it straightened out. There's not going to be any issues. But it sounds from reading this article that you put out that uh, there are still some issues there. Well, there are. Um, I will tell you, I think things have actually vastly improved in a number of states uh, because many state election officials, um, and state legislators actually worked last year and also this year to uh, make changes to their election laws to reform and in- improve the security. Probably about two dozen states did that. Now, there are other states uh, like California and New York who, of course, didn't do anything. And in fact, their, their election laws and procedures are so bad that it's easy to cheat in those places. But like I said, it's, it's improved in other states, uh, but, you know, fraud still happens. And, yeah, we're up to uh, over 1,300 cases. It won't be too long before we reach 1,400. And, look, we only we only put cases in our database of proven fraud. You know, there aren't any he said, she said claims in there. We only put it in if somebody's convicted in a court of law or a judge orders a new election. So... Uh, nobody can dispute that uh, this fraud actually happened in these cases. Well, when this happens and a, a judge at some level says, you know, you're guilty as charge, is there any significant punishment handed out that is going to change this behavior? Because, you know, you don't, I mean, as someone who follows the news pretty intensely, I, I don't see a lot of stories out about people going to jail for breaking the law in this manner. Well, that is a problem. In fact, you put your finger right on it. Uh, all, all too often, um, even in cases where uh, folks are found guilty, the courts let them off pretty easy. I mean, often, you know, they just say, well, a fine community service. They don't punish them the way uh, they should. In fact, uh, two of the guys that we put into our database were, were folks who voted illegally in two different states. They both voted in Florida, and then one of them voted in Connecticut, where he lives, and the other one also voted in Michigan, where he lives. Well, both of them were put into what they call diversion programs, you know, where they have to do certain things like 
community service, pass a remedial course in civics education. If they do all that successfully, guess what? Uh, the record of them committing fraud will be wiped off uh, and it won't be there anymore. But it sounds like the average person out there, if they think, hey, I might try this, I think I can get away with it, there isn't really any public examples of no. You're gonna get uh, you're gonna knock down a few pegged if you if you try this. Uh, it doesn't seem to be any incentive out there to. Uh, and again, a lot of these situations, I'm assuming, of the 1400, we're not talking about someone who is trying to massively take away thousands of votes, but we're talking about someone. Are, are most of these 1400 cases similar to what you described as? someone trying to vote twice or two or three times? It's a wide variety. Many of the cases are just individual voters trying to take advantage of it, like registering and voting in two different states. But look, on the other hand, uh, we have cases in there uh, like, remember, four years ago, North Carolina, you'll recall that a congressional race, the 9th Congressional District, was overturned. Right. Right. Uh, because of massive, widespread absentee ballot fraud organized by a political consultant and about half a dozen members of his staff. Yeah, McCray so Dallas. That was, yeah. yeah, that was actually an organized effort to steal elections. Uh, we're following another case, which if there's a conviction, we'll put into our database, of a guy, a county commissioner, who was just indicted in Virginia on 82 counts of election fraud, uh, also plus embezzlement. And so that's clearly a case, along with uh, another individual, that's, again, clearly an organized case uh, of trying to steal an election, not just taking advantage of a hole in the system like one voter may do. You mentioned New York and, you know, just horrendous voter laws uh, on the books. Because that's such a liberal state and we have liberals in control of the state house, uh, is I mean, are they just saying, hey, you know what? We sort of like the results. I mean, I'm asking you to speculate here, but is it is it a partisan uh, issue that, hey, we don't want accountability because so far it's worked pretty well for us? I think it's a mixture. I think it is some people that are like that who want a system they can take advantage of. I think there are others who believe this lie that has been perpetrated out there, that there's no election fraud ever, we don't need to worry about it, therefore you shouldn't put any rules in place. Uh, New York, for example, is one of the states where there's no ID requirement. You don't have to show an ID to vote. And uh, Well, I got news for cases. you. You don't have to show an ID in North Carolina either. <laughs> well, that's because of the foolishness, unfortunately, of, of the courts there. Yes. Who are throwing the ID law out and really have no valid reasons for doing that. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully that'll change with this upcoming election. Uh, Hans, this is Benny. Uh, I mean, obviously, we haven't studied this election stuff like you have, but, but it was kind of pretty obvious in 2020, everybody was aware of so many problems. And it, and it was kind right. of created by, you know, gi- giving people more opportunities to vote uh, with mail-in ballots and uh, absentee voting and that type of thing will we ever get back to a point you think where uh you know we ha- we really election day is more important and and kind of limit how long ballots can come in without the other side just saying hey it's voter suppression it seems like that's all they know how to do 
Yeah, I think people are finally starting to realize that this stretching out of Election Day is not a good idea. Neither is um, trying to, to change elections to vote by mail. Look, nobody disputes that we ought to allow absentee ballots for people who are physically disabled and can't make it to the polls. But on the other hand, um, we don't want to encourage other folks who can make it to the polls to vote that way because it's the most insecure way of voting, and it's the easiest way to steal an election. And early voting, while folks may think it's convenient, look, if you vote four weeks before Election Day and information comes out about candidates right before Election Day, you know what they always call the October surprise, yep. that a scandal or something like that that affects the choice you made, hey, too late, you, you already voted. Exactly. Speaking of that... Up in this Pennsylvania race, which again, I mean, is it incompetence from Pennsylvania or is it, I know it's only a primary, but last Friday, the third U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that mail-in ballots without a required date on the return envelope must be allowed in the 2021 Pennsylvania um, County Judge race. Why are we having the courts once again stick their nose into something that, at least in North Carolina, it's it's up to the legislature to make the rules. And uh, it, I, I assume it would be like that in Pennsylvania. But again, why are we having a court well after the, the, the whole voting process and midstream, they're saying, hey, you know what? We're going to change the rules again. Because unfortunately, we have Look, there are some very good federal judges in the country, and unfortunately there are some very bad federal judges in the judiciary, uh, folks who don't pay attention to the law, who are, frankly, ideologues, who are more interested in in particular policy outcomes, who are very partisan in what they do, and and they make bad decisions. And those kind of decisions need to be appealed and uh, get to the Supreme Court, where the Supreme Court needs to act to, to overturn those kind of bad decisions. Is there anything we can do to have the Supreme Court come out with something that a, has a little bit more um, blanket coverage so that we don't have this every time we go into an election? Well, we just have to keep pushing the court to do the right thing. You know, uh, Justice Thomas uh, wrote a terrific um, dissenting opinion uh, uh about this issue, particularly when the court, you'll recall, after the 2020 election, refused to take up another case out of Pennsylvania about this very issue. And Justice Thomas chided the majority of the court for allowing this to go forward without uh, them rendering a decision where they said uh, uh, folks can't have the ability to simply waive uh, a rule set by the state um, uh, legislature. And, you know, he said, we don't deal with this now. It's going to happen again in the future. And he was yep. 100% correct. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything major that needs to be done between now and November to, uh, that, that, I mean, any really big holes in the dike that we need to patch up before the November general election? Well, look, the biggest thing is states ought to have voter ID laws in place that apply to both in person and absentee balloting, and they need to try to 
clean up their voter rolls. Find people who are registered in other states, take them off the rolls. Find people who are dead and take them off the rolls so somebody can't vote in their name, like two other cases we just added to our database. They need to do things like that to ensure the integrity of the election process. Hans, let me change uh, gears with you just for uh, a couple of minutes here before I let you go. Um, You were one of four authors that came out with a report entitled, just came out today, in fact, President Biden's equity action plans reveal radical, divisive agenda. Um, I'll just read a couple sentences from it. In April, the Biden administration announced a series of wide-ranging equity action plans across the federal bureaucracy a part of the unprecedented push for color-conscious policies that it has sought since President Joe Biden's first day in office. Um, you know, as, as I skimmed through your report, it basically looked like, one, what they're proposing is illegal, and two, basically they're trying to financially codify right, um, uh, our, our, um, what's, what's the uh, critical race theory. Uh, and, yeah. and interestingly, Black Lives Matter uh, they came out and gave a sounding endorsement of uh, this policy by the uh, Biden-Harris uh, administration. What can you tell us about this? Well, in fact, the, the fact that BLM thinks it's a good idea tells you just how bad it is. In essence, um, the Biden executive order told every single department in the executive branch, from the Justice Department to the Department of Commerce, to come up with an equity plan. And the equity plan's objective was to make sure that government services, government money is distributed on an equitable basis. Well, that may sound good, but when you look into the details, what they're telling, for instance, the Department of Justice to do, when it's doing investigations and considering prosecutions or trying to figure out how much punishment it should ask for a convicted individual or giving out millions of dollars in grants, is to consider the race and ethnicity of individuals to consider whether they live in what they call historically underserved communities, which means where you live (laughs) might affect whether you get federal money or whether you're prosecuted or not. It is it is a recipe basically for a racial foil system to be implemented into the federal government. That's what it is. Hans, I'd like to ask you to get your theory on this. I've got mine, but um, yeah, this whole CRT equity versus equal protection under law, diversity, equity, inclusion, right. it it was like in corporate and institutional America. To me, I saw like it was a moment like in a, in a battle where someone, okay, when I fire this flare, roll out this plan <laughs> – because it, it just happened overnight with, with corporate and institutional America, every organization you can think of. Who do you think is behind this? Well, all you have to do is look at um, the huge amounts of money flowing into all these progressive organizations like the NAACP, the ACLU, uh, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights, and corporate America – is scared to death of those organizations. Um, and basically, when those organizations talk to them and say, you need to be doing this or that on racial issues, they immediately uh, bow down um, because the conservative world, regular Americans, 
You know, they don't engage, for example, in organized boycotts of companies and things like that. The left does, and corporate America bows bows to them all the time. We, I mean, look at Walt Disney. Look look at uh, Netflix. All, all of these companies that that are part of now the woke cancel culture. Is um, if if this now this is a an, an agenda, and I guess they're right now they're going through uh, getting feedback from the public. Uh, I, I'm I'm guessing as I look through, I just skimmed through your your uh, report. But how um, how close is this to actually becoming the law of the Merge and the Pigeon, <laughs> the Medes and the Persians? I think this will be in place. Uh, for a month before the November elections. They want this in place as soon as possible. They also want it in place as soon as possible because they're afraid of um, Republicans winning and taking over Congress and then perhaps acting to try to stop funding and appropriation for these kind of activities at government departments. So I can guarantee you they're going to move as fast as possible to get these plans up and running. So this equity action plan does not need congressional uh, approval? Well, they don't think it does. Uh, they think they can do it within the appropriations they have. I'm not sure that's correct. Uh, but when has the Biden administration ever allowed the law to stop what they yeah, are doing? Exactly. Uh, Obama 2.0. Uh, Hans von Spakowski, thank you, sir. Always interesting to talk to you, and uh, thank you for all the work you do at the Heritage Foundation, and thank you for the Heritage Foundation. We'd be in in, in a much worse place than we are right now as a nation if it wasn't for the work you all do. Thank you so much, sir. Well, thanks for having me. You bet. Stay with us. Benny and I will be right back. 